Olivia, it happens all in almost the blink of an eye. As Heath hurls himself down the stairs, pulling the chain and weight along with him. He lands on the ground, twists, spinning, and brings the weight around himself, spinning it and smashes it into the side of a skull of one of the mercenaries. There is a gruesome splatter as the top half of his head is taken off completely and it sloshes against the ground. One of the mercenaries pulls a gun. Bang! 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 The momentary blasts of light illuminate the room and you see Heath moving amongst the room, getting closer and closer. There is a gruesome splattering sound as the mercenary with the gun's throat is torn out. Marble leaps into action. The two of them clash in the center of the room. Marble brings both of his hands up, turning them into the stone, and begins to pummel at Heath. Heath brings his arms up to protect himself, as one of the other mercenaries rounds about and stabs Heath in the back with their knife, pulls it out, and then jams a taser into the same spot. Once again, that light flickers and illuminates the room. Heath kicks Marble away, grabs the other mercenary around the head, and seems to launch up from the ground and smashes the head into the ceiling with him. There is once again another gruesome splatter. The last remaining mercenary with Marble once again pulls out a gun and begins shooting up into the ceiling. You see Heath darting left and right before launching down. In this confusion, you launch yourself up with the last amount of strength you have and tackle falls to the ground, wrapping your arms around her and starting to like try and restrain her. You hear the pained howls from the last mercenary and the gruesome, wrenching, tearing sound as you hear both of their arms torn from their body. Marble begins backing up, backing up, backing up, and with a three, he fails his fear check. (laughs) Seeing the absolute devastation that has befallen his team in a matter of seconds, he completely turns to stone. Heath pants. He makes his way over to Marble and places his hand on the stone head. And he swings his fist and there is a shattering sound as he breaks away a huge chunk of Marble's throat. He gets down low, making eye contact with him. I wonder how you're going to deal with that. If you ever pluck up enough courage to turn back, that is. And he finally straightens back up. Covered in blood, the room soaked in gore and bone and blood. And he turns back to Fors and Olivia. He is quite bludgeoned and quite bruised. And he like, tilts his head slightly. Who are they working for? Clearwater was their leader. Clearwater. Doesn't ring a bell. They're probably using different names. He comes over and he crouches down towards Fors. Who sent you? She, like, 
looks up a little bit. It's like, why would I tell you anything? You're just gonna kill me. There are many ways to kill you, Fours. Heath like nods at you a little bit and then looks to Fours and says. Here's the thing. I don't think you realize who you've killed tonight. That man up there was the future of Tyr. He was the prodigy of prodigy. He was the golden boy of Charlotte Bell. He was the future of Tyr and you have killed him. And Charlotte... She gets real, he gets real close. Never forgives anyone. So whoever you're working with, there is no end to this. All of Tia is here for this. But he clambers back up and he goes to the little workshop area and starts going through different things. As Olivia said, and you hear him like screwing something together, and then as he switches on a, a small like hand kerosene torch. <laughs> nice. There is more painful ways to die than others. You see fours go white. Professor Estrafal. Heath tilts his head. He switches off the torch. It's a mighty bold claim. Professor Astrophil's been a good man, good friend to Tia for a long time. She like looks around. I'm telling the truth. <laughs> we just wanted the sword. Few other things. Heath crouches down. Couldn't he go get the sword himself? Why'd he need to? He kind of frowns a bit and looks to Olivia. What could someone like him have against a group like yours? They took Vesper. And they took Hope. They took Amelia. They took Ward. They took Ebenezer. And Hickory, yes. And Hickory, yes. <laughs> and whoever that other guy was. <laughs> and the Australian. And the Australian. guy's name. Um... Mm. They, they said they needed blood. For a sacrifice. Okay, black magic, good. What else did they take? There is something missing from this room, if you will notice, Heath. Heath rolls his head slightly, and he snaps. What normally happens when he snaps is something's conjured or like fire or something like that. He snaps and nothing happens. Yeah. 
stands up and he kicks one of the bodies and there's a gruesome sloshing sound again. So what do we do about this one? Well, we do need a witness. He looks to the to the rope from before that they were going to hang you with and he binds it around her feet and slings it over a beam and hangs her three metres by her feet above the ground. And he ties it off. He uh, stamps his way back up and he checks the, the room once again, the, the void room, and sees that there's nothing in there. Olivia, you are quite bludgeoned, so if there's anything around the house that you want to find to heal yourself with... Um, I'm pretty sure that there was some balms and things in a cupboard in the kitchen that Ebenezer and had started his stocking. His whole supplies are still there, probably. So. Yeah. yeah. She'll probably grab quite a few things at taking it with them. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not really sure what to grab, so she's literally just putting as many things as she can into the bag. And she's like, I think this one was a healing balm. She turns it around. Onto, on, it's written on like a little label that just says healing <laughs> and she's like, nice, efficient. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ebenezer, what? so mm. efficient. Yeah. You you load it up. Uh, Heath makes his way over to Hugo's body, and he leans down and he like slightly brushes the hair. He's face down. He brushes the hair slightly, and he leans down and he kisses the the, the crown of his head and he whispers, "Oh, brother." I'd give my own life a hundred times over just so you could be with us a bit longer. With your wife and son. He leans back up and he slowly pulls the jacket off Hugo and he dons a scarlet jacket. He creases it off. Alrighty. He makes his way up to his room and he slowly, one by one, puts on all of his individual rings and pulls from a, a cupboard his batons and like stows them on his uh, hips. He attaches on his um, elbow braces and his like um, shin braces and all that type of stuff. He picks up a bunch of stuff uh, and he goes back to Hugo's body as you're loading up more stuff. He chucks you um, your cutlass and a few other little things like that. And he slowly cranes Hugo over a little bit and you see just the absolutely decimated face by the the bird shot, just absolutely torn to shreds. And he reaches towards a small little necklace around Hugo's neck and he crushes it. And it starts to blink. Small little light going off. Makes his way to the Dodge Charger in the side. He pulls open the um, uh, roller door. He like slams the door again and opens a little bit. And he grabs it 
and slams it so hard shut that the metal bends in and does not move. <laughs> uh, you get into the car, he starts it, and you guys roar off into the night. As you're going, he reaches onto his own neck and he crushes a similar necklace on himself that starts to blink. You guys tear uh, through this. You're in the. You're kind of in the suburbs of London. You're in the outer uh, excerpts of it. Uh, you drive for about an hour, heading um, more inland, more into the country. It's rained recently and it's still kind of uh, stuttering a little bit of rain. Uh, you're tearing along these little streets. Uh, he's kind of using the fact that the roads are wet to just never have to slow down. He's just using the natural, like the way the cars, like being uh, sliding around in the water to just move around. Don't have brakes. Yeah, it's like, so I kind of have to keep yeah, moving. Just, just go, keep just, going. Just deja vu. The, the yeah. initial D, the, the racing car <laughs> anime. Is that a Toyota? It is a Toyota. It is a little, little Toyota. Heath kind of clicks into gear again and you guys go howling down a country road. Can you think of any reason, any reason at all, why he would target your group. He's worked with Tia for decades. I can't think of why he would target our group, but I do remember in the graveyard, there was a gargoyle that wasn't a gargoyle. It was Marble Man. And I think he was listening to the entire conversation that Vesper and I were having. Okay, so he's been tailing you. Why would he tail you? When did he show, like, a level of heightened interest in you other than just you being a party? When we discussed the Hunter's Blade. Okay, what were the, what was the situation around? Why did you talk about the Hunter's Blade? Why did he give you, you guys a job like that? I don't know why he gave us the job. He just wanted us to go get it, and he was paying us ten times the amount and I don't I'm trying to make sense of it maybe oh there was there was a persona guarding it trying to deem if we were worthy and he mentioned that I had Vespa. So Vespa was the point when he took more notes than you all? Yes. And when he got you to do the job to get the item he needed? Mm. So he's interested in Vespa then? In Why Vespa. would he be interested in Vespa? I don't, I... What else did he steal, Olivia? All of Vespa's books, all of Vespa's things. They took all of his boxes, everything about Vesper. I remember Vesper was going to leave. He was he was getting ready to leave. We had that conversation in front of the gargoyle man. About time. <sighs> Can you try not to be that insensitive? Thank you. Don't care. So they took his stuff. Why would they take his stuff? <sighs> Maybe they think he has something on him, like the old hunter's blade that got shattered during the fight, or... That's still in your house. They could have just taken that if they wanted it. It could, it could be connected to Bates. I don't know. Vesper mentioned eradicating witches. And then witches. And... Well, we are looking at a blood sacrifice of some type. And he, like, swings in, uh, around another country row and you're, like, pressed against the, <laughs> the window a little bit. And you uh, are bowing towards... And you see, off in the distance, the lights 
a large mansion off in the distance. Which is... Is there any chance that he's just... Those were Vesper's books, you said. Is, there just, is he just interested in Vesper? You said they took Vesper. Is it because Vesper's powerful? But he's no more powerful than any other persona. They could have just gone to the one that had the sword. Gladius, Gladius Astro was his herbologist. Who? Back when he was, back when he was Weaver, when Vesper was Weaver, Gladius Astro was his herbologist. Astro, Professor Astrophel, maybe they are one and the same. Olivia, you think back to a very specific thing that Vesper said killed every last one of them in that picture. Even my brother Gladius. I cut him to pieces. And you think to Doctor, to Professor Astrophel, that great big slice across his face and the missing hand. And the name, Gladius Astroff. find out. Heath pulls up and switches off the lights as you arrive at a large set of iron gates and a large stone wall that marks the boundary and the acreage of the Astrophil Mansion. Heath turns to you and he leans over you and opens the door for you. He's not dumb enough to think the tear wouldn't come after him. He's going to have a force there. I'll draw their attention. You get inside. You step out of the car and you have barely passed it when he revs the engine and slams it forwards and smashes through the gates and goes hurtling along the this road that leads towards the mansion. And you are alone at the edge of the gates. What are you going to do? Just going to sneak in. Okay, you're going to sneak in. There's a tree, like there's a two, like there's a line of two oak trees on either side of the uh, path. The path goes for about 100 meters down towards the um, mansion. There are two great fields on either, either side. So how are you going to do this? Um. Well, she's got the teal-colored cloak and like very dark clothing in general. She's going to pull the hood of the cloak over her head and just try and stick to the shadows of the oak trees mm -hmm. and trying to hide and merge into them, making her way along. Yep. You make your way along. Um, you're getting closer and closer. You're trying to keep up because you know once wherever this diversion goes down, this area is going to be swarming. So you're going as kind of fast as you can while sticking into the shadows. And you see the there's a large turning circle in front of this mansion. It's a pretty atypical mansion. It's large... Um, 
large stone blocks. It's very symmetrical, a smaller area than two kind of turrets on either side. Uh, probably a hundred acres of land around here. Like it's got fruit trees, all that type of stuff. It's old money, it's old estate type stuff. There's a large gravel turning circle. Uh, he uh, spins the car around and hops out here. There's a few like SUVs parked around here and he's kind of looking around. You see him off in the distance. And he's not kind of seeing anyone around. You see as he goes over towards one of the SUVs and like puts a hand down at the back of it and just flips it and it goes soaring through the air and crashes into the side of the estate, smashing into it and launching into flames. And he goes to the next one and he does the same. And he goes to the next one and he does the same. And you're hearing the shouts of men and the sounds of clattering footsteps from within the mansion. Uh, you make your way. Bloody kids. <laughs> Get off my property. You make your way <laughs> round so to the mentioned. right as fast as you can, because uh, that's your main area with no trees. And you make your way to the right-hand side wall of the mansion and begin skirting along that as you hear the sounds of lots and lots and lots of people making their way out through the front steps, and the sounds of shouting and the sounds of gunfire as mm. well. Uh, you start making your way along the right-hand side until you come to. It's like a, a few steps up into like a patio type of area. It's uh, tiled, then goes down, then um, goes down to the the grass level and all that. It's kind of an area where you'd sit and watch um, polo or something like that. Uh, and there are large glass doors here that lead into a kind of a back drawing room of sorts. You don't see anyone through these windows. Um, okay, she doesn't see anyone, but I'm gonna roll yep. Go for wisdom. <laughs> Wisdom and understanding, because Lord, please. <laughs> That's a three. There is no wisdom. There is no understanding. <laughs> you, you throw open the door. It bangs there off the other vibes. side, and you step in. I am here, <laughs> and there is Where's no one around. <laughs> nice. Um, Who can I kill? It just echoes away. The, there is a back drawing room. You take a, a slight step to the side as you see the door to kind of to this entrance area is open and you see more people running past heading outside. Mm. And you see one, two, three. And then no one else seems to come. Okay. They've She's going to head outside. Go in the direction that they seem to have run from. Okay, you pass through this door out of this main kind of area and you come to a, a large entrance hall. It's very similar to the hall that you fought the poltergeist in, large marble staircases. Uh, you assume from like, like you have kind of, it's, it's just like an intuition thing. I know it's just like, well, upstairs probably. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I doubt, like, I mean, there might be a dungeon, but I, I don't know. Unlikely. Uh, you start to head upstairs, and it's a very grand building. It's like this um, marble staircases, pillars, there's chandeliers. Uh, it's quite lovely. Uh, you cross your way in and out of different rooms. You're kind of peering through different areas. You're hearing the sounds of shouting and more gunfire, and you're seeing more cars going up in flames outside and you're kind of uh you you peer through a bit of glass and you see um what seems to be uh one of the suvs has just been tossed into one of the major fields and is just on fire and and there's like a bunch of people cl like crowd around it using the light of it to look around as they're like darting back and forth trying to see where heath is in the darkness um they're using the light as like a beacon type of thing um there's probably 40 people out there. Mm. It is a lot of mercenaries. 
Um, roll for me. Roll, roll me some intuition. Roll me some some general kind of feel of where you're going Something for. Better than a three, please. A four. A seven plus maybe one because she's seven. got intelligence. You're feeling. I need to get higher up. There's it's about four or five stories here. So you take the next flight of stairs and you take the next one. And you come to probably the fourth story or so, and you cross into a, a great uh, passageway with heaps of rooms, and you uh, just like have to do a double take, as you see Professor Astrophil sitting in an armchair, smoking from a long pipe, legs crossed, watching you. Gladius, I presume? Caught on. Where's my team? Upstairs. What have you done to them? Nothing. We've been waiting for you. Why? I assume you would make it. Otherwise, what's the point of doing all this? Come on. Chip, chip. He gets <laughs> up and he um, he makes his way with his cane, hobbling, and he uh, makes his way up the next flight of stairs. And you make your way up there with him you come to the top story and there are these two great oak doors uh, details chiseled into them and he throws open the doors and gestures for you to come in with him he walks in and you find is basically a, a loft area it is huge it's bigger than most houses it's like 50 feet long about uh, 15 feet high it is a huge loft of the like crest of the the roof coming through. It is huge. It is uh, floorboards in here is really open. You see upon the floor a multi-pointed pentagram. Half of the points are taken up by your team. They're crouched, and you see the pentagram is made up of what you assume to be mountain ash. They are uh, chained to like these uh, metal posts that have been built into uh, like areas of the floor. They're awake. They're around. Uh, Ward is like has been like put together at the the spine like with Some duct tape, duct tape. Oh. <laughs> and he's like trying to like pull up. Everyone else has given up trying to escape. He's still like uh, meh meh. He's, he's was it? They're chained up. Yeah, this is at the hands. Like oh, so both hands are chained. Yeah. Right, yeah. He's he is pulling with all might he can. He's like his arms are basically almost ripping out of them, the wood splintering. And you see in the points that are vacant strange artifacts that you don't quite fully understand. They seem reasonably old. A pen, a pocket watch, a knife, and so on. And you see there are chalk lines. And you're starting to think, this isn't chalk. This is white ash. And you see it is coming to one circle in the middle that Vesper is sitting in. Professor Astrophil circles around it, hands behind his back. It's just about ready. What is? The return. Oh. Big return. The world is just drowning in these things. He gestures to um, Ward. These supernatural creatures. 
We need the hunters. I believed in it then, I believe in it now. Because something is coming. This is echoing through all of reality. And we need a force like the hunters. And this is how you convince us to join you? No. I don't need any of you outside of this. You will all die in this process. But we will get something so much more. What? The old knowledge. I'm sure you read, or at least were told, some of its history by Vesper. Most of it was lost, but bit by bit, I've pieced it together. And he comes to the far wall, and you see a great curtain here. And he grabs one end of it with his remaining hand, and he pulls it to the side, and you see great bookshelves here. You see pictures, you see framed maps, you see framed, like, ancient scrolls. Piece by piece, I've put it together. They were not always called the Hunters. There's something much older. Well, you might want to enlighten me because I'm entirely clueless. They were called the Nephilim. The children of angels and humans. They were the sacred people. They were taller than the rest. They were stronger. They possessed the greatest of strengths. And they were marshaled by the very god of war himself, the Harbinger. Utter and complete power. They were created for the purpose of ending the rebellion of the forefathers, of cutting them down. And that they did, that they did. And then the witches showed up and their war was great and terrible. But they were winning. Oh, they were winning. But they were deemed a disgrace. For they were creatures created for the sole purpose of warfare. So they were swept away. And the earth as a whole was swept away and cleansed. But their writings lived on. Because yes, they were swept away, but the witches remained. The forefathers remained. So humans took up the knowledge. Took up the old ways. And continued the fight, because if they didn't, those things would but there was one core problem we were not the Nephilim we were not strong like them we were not powerful like them so we turned to the very arts we were doing war against we turned to black magic we used the witches abilities and we created personas hunter with persona combined we could just have a taste of the power of the Nephilim, because we needed that power. We were fighting foes beyond us, hundreds of times beyond us. Those foes are coming back. He points to the sword. Of the blood sacrifice of a full hunter's party. 
wonderful party. The bulwark, the herbologist. And to be a little loving to the old ways, a hellraiser. With a persona not yet corrupted, a true persona, and the most ancient of our relics, he points the sword, we can reclaim some of that knowledge. We can teach the young folk. We can prepare ourselves for the war that is coming our way. But there is something that needs to be done first. Like in the old days, we have to draw on that which we hate. And Vesper needs to lose himself. He needs to be a blank canvas. For the first part of that. And Olivia, you see something moving in the shadows. And there is the ting, ting, ting as the clay pot is thrown out and rattles along the ground. There is no lid. And you see something that you thought was just a whole area of the room that was shadow. Move. And you see limbs come out of it. Two arms, bony, with hair and cloth hanging off them, and a face. Eyes, long face stretched out. O'Sullivan fought it in the desert and contained it. The last of the beasts of the witches. The Sandman. Slowly moves around the room and stares at you. Now, for Vesper. To lose himself. To do that, he has to cut off his last anchor. He needs to kill you. That's gonna be a no from me. And um, I don't know if he would have noticed, but she had like pulled the dagger out and the cutlass, mm-hmm. and she's gonna stab. Astrophil in he's the quite, He's quite a ways away from you. Well, she, like, moved closer. Okay. She kept inching okay. her way closer Roll for me. and closer and closer. Okay. Oh, my previous one was an eight for the stealth, but it's a two for actually succeeding. Okay, you uh, pull them out and go, and you hear Vesper's voice. Olivia. And you freeze as you turn your head and you see him stand up. He looks at you. Don't try it. You see the Sandman drifting around the room. This huge, decrepit monster. He looks at you. I don't... We have to. You know. Does he like look around? 
Gladius, yes, looks looks over to you. The Nephilim were destroyed because they were a great evil. And it's funny how history repeats itself. The great evil will rise up as though it's formidable, unbeatable, more powerful than anything. All the usual stuff, you hear it everywhere. Eventually it gets swept away. So, um, what's stopping you from being swept away? Astrophil pauses. Mm. Just a question. Just a thought. But I'm probably just talking out the top of my head. I don't have an answer for you, boy. All I can do is search and hope that what I find is better than what everyone else just assumes. They never have an answer. Then they haven't dug deep enough. I think you're digging in the wrong place. Hey. He was kind of like, not standing up, but kind of straining forward, and he kind of just sits back and goes, Go on then, do your worst. All you can do is kill me. He smiles. I'm not a barbarian. And you feel it in all of your, like, um, wrists as a needle stabs in from the shackles and you feel as blood is being drawn and you look to where the chains are. Ward, this isn't happening for you. Okay. <laughs> you don't have blood. Uh, like blood? I'm sorry set? I had to explain that to you, Caleb. <laughs> I'm like, stick with googly eyes. What blood do you have? Um, <laughs> That's what I was confused. Like, you see uh, amongst the chains a tube as the blood is being drawn and slowly spread out into the ash, making the white ash blood red. Ward, you feel a feeling from this ash as it kind of moves around you and you feel like your soul, like your soul is kind of dripping away and the ash in front of you turns blue and moves out and colours with the rest of it. Professor Astrophil opens his arms and he makes direct eye contact with Vespa. I hope you know we had everything. Broke me and you left these pieces. I want you to hurt. Like you hurt me that day. I want you to lose as much as I lost. What could have been what we had. Vespa keels over and shrieks in pain and like falls to one knee. And the Olivia's gonna run towards him. You kind of uh, you cross over the threshold of the ash, and he shrieks out and shouts, "No!" But you've already crossed over it, and you like stop and take a step back, and boom, you're in here with him now. 
and you see the Sandman cross over above and just darkness shoots down like a lightning bolt and catches Vesper in the back and he like gives out another shriek and falls to the ground as kind of convulsing and you see the darkness, the rot extending out, going through his veins and just coloring the flesh of him. And he's going grayer and grayer and like he's kind of throffing at the mouth a little bit and his eyes rolling around and everything kind of goes quiet and the Sandman moves back and Vesper kind of moves to a hands and knees position and he's looking up at you and you're seeing the darkness spreading more and more and he looks up to you and Yep. Weaver and I spent a long time alone. He looks to hope. These have been the happiest years of my life. They were the absolute happiest. The black moves up his neck. Happy, so what? Losing what was found. A world so hollow. I've lost who I am and I just can't stay away. It hurts so much. I remember back to that small town. He looks up to you, Olivia, and he smiles. Sometimes reason just clouds my eyes. But there is a light. There's the sun. A place for all the shattered ones the place we belong. I won't run. I won't be silent. Because these were the happiest years of my life. And the black takes over fully now. And his eyes kind of roll a little bit and then focus. And he no longer looks like Vesper. He looks like Weaver. The Weaver that you met. That dark, misty night. In Mercy's Creek. And he slowly raises to his feet and he doesn't have any of that kind of jittering, shaking that Vesper's had for the past little while. He is fully in control. He is, he is healthier, he is fuller, he is more present. Kind of cracks his neck a little bit. Very good. And he looks around and he holds a hand out and Gladius throws through the field your um, sword from before. And he 
throws it onto the ground before you. Pick it up. And he lowers down and he picks up the hunter's sword. He swings it back and forth, testing the weight of it. Five, four, three. Olivia can't move. Two. She's frozen to the spot. One. He, you feel a, like a breeze past you. You take a step back. And you turn around and you see that he's standing behind you. And he runs his hand along the blade. And you see blood running along it. He catches in his palm and lets drop into the ash and colours it red. You hear the muffled sound of hope screaming. You see Ebenezer trying to stand to his feet. You see Hickory doing the same. Ward with this kind of confused expression. And you look down and you see your right arm on the ground, severed at the shoulder. She's going to look at Hope and she's going to say, Honey, I love you. Mom, no. It's okay. It's not. I can't stop this. The front door creaks open as Heath, on all fours, slides himself into the gap and lands on the marble flooring and kicks the door closed. There is the sound of voices and there's a doom as a shotgun blasts a a higher part of the door away and you hear more voices. Heath, who is very bloodied and beaten, slowly pulls himself up until his back He's against the door. His eyes are kind of coming in and out of focus as he breathes. The grand entrance before him kind of comes in and out of focus. And there comes the distant crackle of a fire and he sees four boys four brothers sitting around a campfire in the dark he sees Donovan He sees himself. He sees Darnell. And he sees Hugo. They're talking. They're laughing. They're bruised. They're beaten. They're tired. But they're laughing. And they're singing. As the embers go up into the dark night sky. Heath lays against the door 
as more blood runs out of his body and his eyes just get so heavy so tired he watches his friends from so many years ago it's less his life running out of him and more his will to live running out and pooling on the floor before that fire the younger Heath rises up he turns around to face Heath as he slowly slides further down the door as he walks further away from the fire he grows smaller and younger until before Heath is just a child wearing an itchy sweater and shorts and gumboots. His hands are dirty as he's just come off the farm. He rubs his nose and he looks at Heath. Heath peers back at him, sliding lower and lower on the door. The young boy holds out his hand and smiles and says, Don't try to live so wise. Don't cry. Because you're so right. Don't try to dry your tears. Otherwise you'll hate yourself in the end. Heath pauses as another hand comes through and places it on his shoulder and Heath's mouth dry mouths cause you'll hate yourself in the end Everything goes quiet. And colour 
seems to slowly drain from the world. For all of you. Colour just seems to fade away. And Weaver like kind of grabs his head a little bit. Like there's an interference. He's looking around. He's like backs up a little bit. He's like just kind of blinking and looking around. And you all see as the Sandman kind of looks around and shrinks back a little bit and begins to cower in fear growing smaller and smaller and moving towards the corner and you see Dr. Astroffel doing the same thing and there's a slight creaking noise from the door and you see a small crow fly in and it calls and it shrieks and it circles around the room once, twice, three times. And it perches atop a high place and looks down at you all. And then comes another, and another, and hundreds, and thousands more. And they swarm the room and they all settle and they begin to speak. And they say the same thing in unison. Hallowed be his name. And the door creaks open a little more. Tick. 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 And a man dressed in black comes through the open door. He's wearing a black suit and vest with a black cloak over it wide-brimmed hat with a white and red cane. He slowly, very slowly, like he's not Russian, makes his way around the room making sure not to like disturb any of the ash. And he crosses onto the other side of the circle. He looks around the room. He cranes his head around, kind of getting like listening, getting a full picture. This won't do. This won't do at all, friends. Not one bit. He slowly walks up and the field that was kind of containing you in here just seems to bend like reality bends open for him as he walks into this area and he walks up to Weaver who is also starting to cower away from him 
This won't do one bit. No, no. Weaver goes for the sword and slashes out towards uh, Bates, and Bates just puts out a hand a few inches away from his face, and there is like a boom as all of Weaver's power is channeled directly at him, and you can see this huge amount of force pressing against this wall, and he cannot get through. And Bates just taps him on the forehead, and he completely falls to the ground. And Bates crouches down, and we see beneath the hat those red glasses. Weaver cowers, and Bates whispers. Old man, take a look at my life. I'm a lot like you. I needed someone to love me the whole day through. Wild one, take a look in my eyes. It's true. Weaver's eyes go wide. Bates slowly stretches out a hand and places a finger on his right shoulder. Once I rose above the noise and confusion and got a glimpse behind this illusion, I was soaring ever higher. Though my eyes could see, I was still a blind man. Though my mind could think I was still a madman. Yet I hear these voices when I'm dreaming. I can hear them say, Carry on, wayward son. Weaver? No. Vesper? Carry on. Be wayward no more. I cannot guide you home, I can only show you the path. He removes his finger, and at that point, there is a single tiny dot of white in the darkness. He rises, and he wipes his hand. He looks to the beast in the darkness, and he frowns, and shrugs a little. And he walks over to you, Olivia. He stands above you. Not smiling now. Olivia. Mr. Bates. You would do well to listen to my words and commit them to memory. That of which I warned you so many years ago is coming to pass. The actions of you and your friends prevented my rise to strength. And I can't stop her now. She will come, and she will destroy everything. She will remake all worlds exactly to her will. He gestures to the beast and to Weaver. I wash my hands of this, of all of you. I will protect those who come to me with an open heart. I don't have the strength to do more. I must consolidate before her arrival. If she chooses to stand against me, I will destroy her myself. But hear me now, Olivia. This is not my world. The strength of man must withstand her. Hear me now, Olivia. The defences must hold.
all of them. That's why I've come to you today. Vesper must hold. The end is coming, and if the defences are not ready, if man does not stand tall, the serpent will turn them against each other. And then there will be nothing for me to defend if my hand is forced. He rises and he looks in the direction of hope. And he looks back to you. He smiles and he taps his nose and says, All's well that ends well, I suppose. He adjusts his jacket and makes his way to the great doorway. The crows launch up and take off, following behind him until they are all gone. Not even a feather remains.